astonished or what we're expecting uh, simply doesn't match up uh, with the realities, right? Uh, there are times when what we uh, think we're going to get uh, is far from the truth. Uh, now, sometimes this is quite, this is quite funny. Uh, as I said, my wife and I we got married in the summer. Part of that, doing a, a wedding list. And as you go through, you kind of uh, look around at all the things that you, you might need, you think might be nice. Uh, we thought, you know, it'd be good to have a good, a good serving dish to be able to put a load of potatoes or vegetables on for, for when uh, people come over. Saw, saw this thing, looked quite nice on the, on the website. Saw the price. That's quite reasonable for a serving dish. And a few months later, uh, we get this, um, which you can just about fit a couple of chocolates or a peanut on. Um, What we were expecting wasn't quite lined up uh, with reality. Uh, Other times, the the consequences are are just a little bit bigger, aren't they? Uh, 2018 was my last year at university. I had a a friend doing a year abroad uh, over in uh, Berlin. Uh, I wasn't particularly well-travelled, but I was like, this, this is it, this is the time to go and, go and travel, uh, get a, a bit of a catch-up with my friend, uh, get free accommodation, importantly, and get some kind of inside tips on how to make uh, the most of Berlin. Uh, he's up for it, so I booked my flights, packed my bags, uh, and set off uh, for a dreamy few days in Berlin. I catch my flight, uh, pitched up in Berlin, all of my little lonesome, and being the naive Englishman that I am, I assumed that everyone would speak English, and it would be pretty straightforward. Uh, that confronted me as soon as I came out of the terminal and went to the train station to get to my friend. Uh, everything was in German. The train tickets, the station, uh, the, the machines. Everyone spoke German for some weird reason. Uh, now, with a bit of uh, help uh, from a friendly German man and some uh, trusty Google Maps, uh, I made it to the right platform and got on the right train. Uh, eventually, with a few more uh, mistakes along the way, I, I rock, rock up at the, the station. I'm meant to meet my friend, hop off the train, uh, and go to the exit. Except my friend wasn't there. I waited a few minutes, uh, and then the panic began to rise. I, I called him, and I texted him, but there was no answer. I, I called him and texted him again, still no answer. Uh, 10, 20, 30 minutes go by. And as I've stood outside this station in a Berlin suburb in the early hours of a summer night, the panic only grew. What am I meant to do? Where am I meant to go? I don't know where I am. I don't speak the language. There's no one around because it's 3 a.m. Where is my friend? Why is he not here? What I'd been promised as a great holiday uh, began to look quite poor. You'll be glad to know I eventually found my friend and had a pretty good holiday after all. Uh, But I won't forget that sense of isolation as I stood on that bridge in that uh, dark summer night uh, and wondered, have I made a terrible mistake? Is this all some kind of joke? And the Christian life can feel like that too, can't it? There are times when we look around at the world around us and think, is this it? What's going on? Why is life like this? What is the point? Is this all just some kind of joke? And if they're honest, there are times when we just feel lonely and isolated. What is the point? We got a dose of this the other week, I think, uh, during the first moments of the Scottish National uh, Party leadership contest. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the current First Minister of Scotland, uh, stood down. She triggered a leadership contest for the SNP, uh, as well as the position of First Minister of Scotland. 
Uh, names immediately began uh, doing the rounds, and amongst them uh, was a lady called Kate Forbes. Kate is the current Cabinet Secretary for Finance, the, the Treasurer equivalent for Scotland. Uh, she's currently on maternity leave, but has held that role with distinction since 2020. Kate, like us, is also a Christian. A few days later, Kate confirmed that she was running. She was going to throw her hat in the ring. And within days, if not hours, Kate found herself in hot water for confirming that as a Christian, she does not support same-sex marriage, having babies outside of marriage, nor an individual's ability to change their biological sex. Very quickly, some of her supporters uh, withdrew. Uh, distanced themselves from her. Senior MPs and MSPs quickly questioned whether these views were appropriate for a modern, progressive Scotland. Plenty of journalists were quick to condemn these bigoted views. Now, regardless of what one thinks about Kate Forbes' politics, uh, here was a Christian expressing their views in mainstream life and being dragged over the hot coals and publicly heckled uh, by her own party. And I don't know whether you paid attention to that, but for many Christians up and down the country, uh, the panic grew and the questions began to grow. Uh, if this is what Kate is facing for expressing things that uh, Christians have always thought, then what about me? What happens if my colleagues or schoolmates know that I think the same things? What, where is this all going? Uh, can Christians still speak publicly about what we believe? Will we be barred from public life? Will we lose our jobs? Now, I imagine for many of us that the politics is, is distant at, at best or irrelevant. But, but there are times, aren't there, when we've asked that same question. Uh, when we've asked ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth being a Christian? Is it meant to be like this or is it all just some kind of joke? And as we ask these questions, a whole load of others come up too. Maybe I should just ignore that part of the Bible. Maybe it would be better if we just didn't tell people we were Christians in public. Maybe we should give up and play along. Maybe it would be easier, safer, more comfortable, more profitable, nicer if we just... And it's with these questions in mind that we come to today's passage. Uh, Look down with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Straight away, we see that the people Peter is writing to are Christians, uh, but he describes them as as exiles, scattered. Uh, Peter's writing to a uh, church or series of churches which are fragmented and spread across five different regions in modern-day Turkey. Uh, They're a a small, fragile group of believers living in isolation, without friends, on the edge of society. To these early believers, the question, is it worth it? It would have been a highly familiar question. Weak, dispersed, peripheral. These are not people familiar uh, with power or comfort. No, rather, these, these are people aware of the pain and the realities of suffering. Or at the very least, if they're not aware of it themselves, that threat looms large over them. 
Uh, Peter mentions suffering 19 times in five chapters. That's nine times more than the whole book of Psalms, more than any other book. This is a book about what it means to suffer as a Christian. To be a believer in these five promises was to live life on the margins, to be aware of their vulnerability, to know hardship well. But it's striking, that's not how Peter first identifies them, is it? Look down at verse 1. To God's elect. Peter begins not with what they lack, but with what they have. For God has promised them an awful lot. God has promised them an awful lot. Because to be elect is to be chosen. To be elect is to be granted great privilege and blessing. Uh, Those whom God chooses, he blesses. And for these believers, scattered, outsiders, familiar with their suffering, it is their calling and their blessing that they need to know. Uh, What are they blessed with? The the first chapter alone offers a treasure trove of riches that belong to these uh, people. Uh, Verse 3, they have new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, Verse 4, they have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Verse 5, this inheritance is of salvation. And this is a treasure that shouldn't be devalued. Verse 7, it's of greater value than gold. Verse 10, that the prophets of old longed to experience these days. Verse 12, even angels long to look into these things. To be chosen by God is to experience unbelievable uh, blessing. It is no freedom uh, from death. It is to have absolute certainty about our eternal destiny. It is to be saved from depravity and despair brought about by our sinful rebellion. To be chosen by God is to be made alive again, to have ongoing and eternal hope. It is to have an inheritance far more valuable than a house, far more valuable than money, far more valuable than gold. To be chosen is to be blessed. And to be blessed is to be promised much. This is not unusual. Uh, Christians, believers, God's people from of old uh, have always experienced this. This God whom God chooses, he blesses. Uh, Think of Abraham, uh, called from his ancestral home, blessed uh, by the Lord God. And what a blessing it was. Genesis 12 says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curse you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham too received an awfully big promise. Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were childless, unable to conceive. To promise that a great nation would come from this couple, that their name would be renowned and that the whole world would be blessed by them was to promise an awful lot. And to the people of 1 Peter, this much remains true. These promises they've had were promises from of old. uh, Promises to which they were not worthy, they were not righteous, they were not deserving. And yet, in his great mercy are these promises made. This is not a people walking in the light, blessed with more light. This was a people walking in darkness, called from the darkness into wonderful light. Once they were not a people, now they are a people. Once they had not received mercy, now they have. Chapter 2, verse 10. In the midst of their hardships, in the midst of their suffering and their weakness and their pain, Peter wants them to know above all else that they are God's elect. They are chosen and richly blessed. Yeah, that doesn't deal with the the reality gap we mentioned at the beginning, does it? The difference between what they are expecting, the promises, uh, and what they are experiencing now. 
Uh, and that's because God's promises can seem awfully far away, can't they? God's promises can seem awfully far away. For all that God's people have been blessed, richly blessed with a new and living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, their immediate reality is less a source of hope and more one of fear. You see, their faith is considered more than gold, but now they have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials because of that same faith, chapter 1, verse 6. Their suffering, uh, or potential suffering, isn't just the, you know, the regular aches and pains. Rather, this suffering comes because they are God's elect, because they are his chosen people. Chapter 2, verse 12, tells us that God's people might be accused of doing wrong despite doing good. 3, verse 14, says they might suffer for doing what is right. 3.16, they might face slander and maliciousness. Chapter 4, verse 4, they face abuse for not joining in with how the pagans live. 4, verse 12, they are not to be surprised by suffering. And chapter 5, verse 9, the family of believers, that is all of God's people chosen around the world, are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And it's in this context of trials and pains and hurt that being a Christian can be hard. They are blessed, and yet in the present, that blessing looks more like a curse than anything else. And so the questions come. Is it worth it? Is it worth battling on? Is it worth being distinctive despite the cost? Is it worth holding to that particular teaching that's uncomfortable? And perhaps, I think, we're beginning to feel the heat of that in our culture We've been very fortunate for many years. Uh, Sure, lots of us will have our battle scars, times that our friends didn't want to talk to us anymore, times that our boss uh, poured scorn on us or the kids at school uh, mocked us. But by and large, we've been blessed to live in a culture which gives us space and freedom to be God's people and at times even celebrates that. We might have been viewed as a bit fuddy-duddy, a bit backward, perhaps even strange or odd, but now... We're coming to be seen as bad, harmful, dangerous. Author Stephen McAlpine puts it like this. Uh, Only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy, the the solution to what was bad. Uh, Over the course of the 20th century, though, we became just one of the guys, one option among many. A voice to be considered, but not followed unquestioningly. If Christianity worked for you, then fine. But if it, it didn't work for you, then also fine. But the problem is that's not where we are now. The tide has shifted further. Increasingly, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. Christianity is no longer an option. It's the problem. We're on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. And if this were a Western, he says, we would be the bad guys wearing the black hats whose appearance is accompanied by the foreboding soundtrack. It's not yet as bad as it could be. We're not yet on the margins that our brothers and sisters in countries like China or Nigeria or Afghanistan face. Our churches are not yet being shut down or attacked. Our pastors are not yet being locked up. And Christians are not completely, totally frozen out of public life. We do have a Christian running for first minister after all. And yet it's getting harder, isn't it? We're beginning to ask these questions. Is it worth it? Is being distinctive worth the cost? Is holding to that particular teaching uh, worth it? Sadly, some have already decided no, and more will follow. God's promises seem just too far away. They seem just too distant to keep going, just too small to warrant the costs. 
And we do not find ourselves alone in this culture. 2,000 years ago, Peter was writing to Christians just like us, exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And they needed to be reminded that God had promised an awful lot. The costs are worth it. Don't give in. Keep battling on. These promises are yours. But in identifying them as exiles, also verse 1, Peter reminds them of something else too. Now, from what I understand about the term, uh, exile is is less about being forcibly excluded from your homeland and more about being a a strange resident in a foreign place. Uh, They're they're not uh, exiles, perhaps, uh, so much as strangers. Uh, They do not belong where they are. Just as I stood on that bridge in the dark night of that Berlin evening and felt very far away from home, felt very strange, the gap between what they're expecting and what they face now Reminds them that they too are far away from home. And this is, again, all the way it's always been for God's people. Uh, think back to Abraham, uh, one unbelievably blessed, chosen by God. Yet how does Hebrews describe him? Uh, you can look at Hebrews 11 verse 8 if you want, but don't need to turn there. Uh, by faith, when Abraham, uh, called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Abraham, the epitome of God's blessing upon his people, chosen and unbelievably blessed, he too experienced a gap. He did not experience the fulfillment of the promises uh, during his life here on earth. Uh, Hebrews continues, uh, they did not receive the things promised when they died, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. But they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Abraham died without ever seeing the fullness of God's promise worked out. Yet he stood firm, knowing he was looking forward to a better country, a, a heavenly one. So stand firm, because God will deliver Stand firm, God will deliver. Just as we look back at Abraham and see that God delivered, we are to look forward uh, knowing that God will do so again. But, but interesting, the past, present and the future are a bit more uh, intermingled, a bit more intertwined than uh, that. You see, what has happened is affecting what is happening, which is affect what will happen. Uh, or perhaps to put it more clearly, uh, we're called to stand firm, not just because of what God has done and what God will do, but because of what God is doing now. Abraham was chosen. He was sustained as he wandered a stranger, looking back on the covenant promise God had made him back in Genesis. He was to stand firm, looking forward to what God was going to do and fulfilling filling the promises he had made. Yet God's promises seemed awfully long way away. But in that, God could, uh, Abraham could be confident God would deliver because God delivered right in front of him. Uh, God gave this barren, childless couple late in age the gift of a son, a son that was key to all the other promises coming true. Abraham could stand firm knowing that God uh, had delivered, was delivering, and will deliver again. And for God's chosen people kicking around in ancient Turkey, scattered, marginalized, suffering, and weak, Peter writes to tell them they too need to stand Firm, for God has delivered, is delivering, and will deliver his promises in full. Uh, look with me at verse 2. 
Uh, They've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. They've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God has chosen them. We've seen that already. Uh, And they've been promised salvation through Christ's blood. They're to look back at that promise and they're to look forward. Yet they're not just left on their own in the meantime. These future promises aren't as far off as they first seem. They are already at work in the process of being delivered. See, God's spirit is at work in them. In us, sanctifying them, sanctifying us. That is renewing us, restoring us, redeeming us, transforming us, that we might be, as verse 2 says, obedient to Jesus Christ. It is God's spirit that is the encouragement we need to stand firm. The confirmation that what has been promised will be delivered. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and 5 both describe the spirit as a deposit, the guarantor of what is to come. The Spirit both brings uh, into reality now our union with God that is to come, but also brings into reality the the tastes, the the first fruits of of redemption, the the freedom from sin's grasp. And that's not just a future thing, that is a now thing. And this is further good news uh, for us understanding the gap between our experience and what has been promised. For the Spirit binds us to Christ. That is, we are made one with him. It is his work that brings about the realities of what has been promised to us. And Peter is at pains to point out in the whole of chapter uh, 1 Peter that Christ also suffered. Chapter 1, verse 11, he, he mentions the, the sufferings of the Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says that Christ was rejected. 2.21, Christ suffered for you. 3.18, Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Chapter 4, verse 1, Christ suffered uh, in his body. 4.13, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. God has promised much. Uh, his promises might seem far and far away, but get this, the pains and the trials through which we go now are not a sign of the distance of God's promises, uh, but their proximity. The pain and the trials which we go now are not a sign of the distance of God's promises, but their proximity. If Christ suffered and we are bound up with Christ, then why on earth do we expect to avoid suffering? If people rejected our Lord and King, why would we expect them to welcome us? If he was persecuted, rejected and seen as weak, then why would we be anything different? Now, in the mind-bending ways of God's kingdom, suffering for Christ is not a sign of anything going wrong, but a sign that it's going right, that his promises, his blessings are at work in our lives now. And this is both encouraging and challenging. It's an encouraging because our status as strangers now only confirms what will happen to us on the day of God's judgment. That those whom God has chosen, he will sanctify. And those he sanctifies will be found obedient to God and cleansed by his blood. Philippians 1 verse 6 says that God, uh, who began a good work in you, will continue it until completion. Those who have been chosen by God, no matter how uh, weak they look in this life, no matter how hard uh, times get, no matter what opposition they face from society, they can be confident that God will deliver 
for he is already delivering now. And so Peter calls on his listeners to be alert and of sober mind. He calls on them to stand uh, firm. Don't move on from the hope to which you were called. Stand firm. Stand firm on Christ the rock, knowing that if you remain in him, you will be delivered through trials and into the glorious riches of an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. Yet it's a challenge, this, isn't it? It's an encouragement, but it's also a challenge because we feel the heat. We're increasingly like our brothers and sisters in 1 Peter. We're increasingly like our brothers and sisters around the world. We're increasingly going to have to count the very real and practical cost of being a follower of Jesus. Peter says, don't be surprised by this. This is the way it has always been for God's people. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of the king. And it's a challenge because the way of God's people pushes back against our very nature. Because it feels so unjust. But we're not to lash out at those that lash out at us. Uh, Time and time again, Peter urges his listeners to shun evil and do what is good. Don't don't react to the, the, the evil that you're facing with more evil. Rather, do good. 1 verse 14. Do not conform to the evil desires you had, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. 2 verses 11 and 12. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. 3 verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. 4 verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We're not to be a people of vengeance. We're not to be a people that claim our rights and retaliate. We're not to be a people of wrongdoers. Rather, we are to be a people that do good. Uh, A people that do good, whether it's seen and rewarded or not. Uh, A people that do good, whether it's easy or difficult. Uh, A people that do good, whether it is popular or not. For in all things, we are to be like our God, our faithful creator who is holy. And we are to be like our king who himself suffered, yet did not retaliate, did not lash out, but rather entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Chapter 2, verse 23. God will deliver. His promises will come uh, to pass. Justice uh, will be done. So stand firm. He delivered for his people of old. He promised to deliver in full. And in Christ's death, resurrection, and his spirit at work in us now, we see that God is already in the process of delivering. Stand firm. God will deliver. And yet this is also a challenge, isn't it? Because... Terrifyingly implicit in this is a warning to those who decide not to stand firm. To those who decide it's just easier to ignore what the Bible says about certain topics, gender and sexuality in our culture. To those who decide it's just nicer to abandon truths about sin and judgment. To those who decide it's just better to roll over and join in with the world around us. The Bible says don't be a fool. God has promised an awful lot. And yes, those promises can seem an awfully long way away. But don't you see that to reject Jesus in this life is to be rejected come the next? And it really is this stark. The choices really are this blunt. And it's vital we do not shy away from this truth. 
For there are those in our culture, in our churches even, who pretend we can have both, who echo the serpent in the garden and ask, did God really say? Yet 1 Peter 4, 5 reminds us that they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For to reject Christ in his suffering is to reject Christ in his glory. To reject Christ in his suffering is to reject Christ's sanctifying spirit. To reject Christ in his suffering is to reject his blood which makes us clean. We, like those to whom Peter is writing, have been promised an awful lot. As we look at the culture around us, those promises can seem an awfully long way away. But let us stand firm. For we know that God is faithful. That he has delivered. That he is delivering even amidst, even through our suffering. And he will deliver in full. Let us not be foolish, but rather be alert and sober-minded. Let us stand firm. Because God will deliver. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the amazing blessings that you have promised to those of us who believe. Thank you that we are chosen, blessed, richly loved, uh, and have the hope of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Lord, help us not to see that lightly. And yet, Lord, we feel the weight, we feel the heat in our culture. We feel scattered and weak. Lord, please help us to see uh, that you will deliver. Help us to uh, stand firm uh, in the power of your spirit. Amen.